Welcome to the Philosophy and Theology Porch, where in the South, if it's done right, it's done on a porch. Now, today begins our episode in which we begin to investigate or run roughshod over, I should say, the man called Socrates. Now, again, the whole point of this particular podcast is to go over uh, roughly, again, roughshod, uh, the history of philosophy, but to do so... Um, by looking at these philosophical ideas, these thinkers, and then also engaging them from a somewhat theistic uh, perspective, specifically Christian for the most part, Um, just to oversimplify. So what we're going to do is start today with Socrates, like we said. Now, the history of philosophy does not start with Socrates. Obviously, there is a period uh, before this thinker called the pre-Socratics. Uh, of course, this encompasses a wide range of, of, of thinkers, uh, from uh, Parmenides to Heraclitus to uh, Xenophanes, all, all sorts of other guys. And they had a lot of things to offer, uh, a lot of very interesting uh, arguments for this, that, and the other. Um, but we're not going to go through, the, through those because, again, we're trying to run roughshod, and we're going to have so much material already to try to go through uh, from the time of Socrates up until around the contemporary period. Um, Now, as we begin to talk about Socrates, again, one, keep in mind that this is just uh, a rough overview, but then two, keep in mind that we're just going to look at at one or two of his his, uh, main contributions uh, to the foundations of philosophy. But before we do that, we do have to back up a little in the sense to see that a lot of Socrates' Uh, a lot of his thought, a lot of his his uh, his ideology comes about as a reaction to uh, just just like almost any other philosopher, uh, uh, whatever period we're in, comes about as a reaction to what was going on before him, um, before Socrates. Again, in the pre-Socratic period, there was a like we said a group of or more philosophers. Uh, that existed, that uh, spoke of, that that uh, talked about important matters. But there was also a group that would be called the Sophists. Um, these would be, again, to oversimplify, to overgeneralize quite a bit, um, these would be roughly equivalent to our modern-day relativists, uh, those who uh, want to argue that there is no objective truth, that want to constantly critique some sort of a authority or traditional type uh, uh, position. Now, again, these guys did have something important to offer. I mean, of course, they helped advance our our understanding of knowledge, epistemology, um, uh, authoritarian type structures, and when and if they should be questioned, those sorts of things. But this also, again, going to the extreme, um, just to call in uh, to question the even existence of objectivity, as a, as a category, in, as regard as regard as it re- pertains to truth, uh, things of that nature, Socrates was reacting to a lot of this. Of course, what makes Socrates stand out um, is his humility. Um, he always puts himself in the position of the questioner or the learner. We should say he he, he presents himself as as one who wants to try to find out. Uh, what is going on? He wants to find out what people believe and why they believe it. Um, 
he, he, he wants to understand what does someone mean when they say something like a man is just or a man is virtuous or so-and-so is a man of wisdom. What does it mean to say uh, that a man is a man of wisdom? What is wisdom? What is justice? What is, what is, it, what is it to be virtuous? Um, what, is, what is virtuous? What is the essence of that, of virtue? And so he, he, he constantly puts himself in this, in this role as if you are the teacher and he himself is the learner. Now, the brilliance of Socrates was that by doing so, he's essentially guiding the conversation. And this is what we want to look at uh, as, it, as, as it regards Socrates. We're going to look at his method of doing this, which was called, or which has become to be known as uh, the Socratic method. And Plato later, later goes on to call this something like the dialectic. Um, and then we're going to look at his method of argument. Now, as we go through this, especially if you're a member of the CAA um, or if you're familiar with, with Greg Kokel uh, and his, his, uh, his profession, Stand to Reason, then this should sound very, very similar to you. Um, in fact, I haven't had the opportunity to ask uh, Greg this, but I've always wanted to, to ask him if he's, if he's developed his, uh, one of his particular strategies directly off the Socratic method because it, it, it's almost just verbatim <laughs> the Socratic method put into everyday practice or with a modern spin. Now, I would also suggest that if you have some sort of um, philosophy text that you could follow along with, something like a history of philosophy like Fred, by Frederick uh, Cobbleston or even what I'll be using primarily is just a text that I had uh, during during a during my school school time was The Voyage of Discovery by William Lawhead. Um, I found that text to be uh, just tremendous as far as an overview uh, and an introductory type text to the history of philosophy. In fact, some of you, if you're enrolled at uh, SES, you probably are using uh, a text like this under Dr. Bridges. Also, a text that I'll have open today, uh, just to, to make a few points out of, again, not much, is just uh, Peter Kreft's Socratic Logic. Now, what, this, what that particular textbook is for is just the study of Aristotelian logic, uh, you know, your deductive type syllogisms and things of that nature. But he, he, wants to, he does this from a very liberal arts sort of uh, position. So he, he has a lot about Socrates and the Socratic method within that text, and then especially at the end, just some practical application as it pertains to the Socratic method. So having said that, let's look at Socrates. So he, he goes around, he's constantly getting in trouble. In fact, he's called the gadfly of Athens or the, or the horsefly, as we, would, as we would say the word now, um, because he's constantly aggravating. He's constantly uh, upsetting, in a good sense, uh, in, 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 in a good way, the people, the populace. Uh, he roams around, he's asking questions. He's asking questions of people that... Um, really thought that they were above being questioned. Now, the youth of that day um, were enamored with the sophists <clears throat> because the sophists were not afraid to go around and, and question authority all the time and, and cause quite a stink by doing so. But they also, and at least in some way, were enamored by Socrates because he was doing this too. Now, granted, he was doing this from what we would say would be a healthy uh, perspective. He's really trying to gain understanding. 
as opposed to the to the sophists. Now, so Socrates, his method again is the first is going to be this something like the Socratic his his mode of questioning. So let me read a few points. <clears throat> excuse me, out of Lawhead's text here. So he's gonna he's gonna meet someone. He's gonna meet you and say uh, a party or, or a, a, a uh, some sort of political event or some sort of public gathering. Um, and what he's gonna do is he's gonna start to ask you questions. He's going to try to draw you out on where you stand in regards to some particular position. And then when you start to use terms, he's going to ask you what you mean by those terms. So if someone were to say, uh, you know, this particular political candidate is wise, he'd say, okay, all right, I understand that you think he's wise, and he may be, but what do you mean by wise? What does that term mean to you? And so he starts to ask these types of questions, to again, to draw them out. What he's going to do is, again, he's going to play as if he's the ignorant one, as if he's the one that has no clue as to what's going on, and he's trying to ask you, essentially, to teach him uh, what your particular position is. Now, what he's going to do, and this is where it should sound very familiar to you, if you're familiar with Greg Kokel's book, Tactics, is Socrates is the originator of the Colombo tactic. This is what Socrates... Uh, this was this was his bread and butter. This is where he made his his impact. Was again, let's go through uh, Greg Kokel's uh, Colombo tactic. What is that? Kokel's Colombo tactic. Again, you're probably familiar with it. Is the first question you want to gain information when you're talking with someone. So how do you do that? You would say, well, what do you mean by that? So and so is a wise person. Oh, wait a minute, what do you mean by wise? Okay, and then it clarifies what the person is making. It tells, it gives you an idea of what they're thinking. And of course, this, you know, as Kugel states, it's just a good conversation starter. Now, here's where it takes a turn. And just like Socrates, the next question in, in Kugel's Colombo ta tactic is, how did you come to that conclusion? Or what is your evidence for that? Or, or what kind of reasons led you to hold that particular, uh, hold to that persuasion? Now, what that happens is it comes in the form of a question. Now, this is exactly what Socrates does. Is he draws out, he tries to see what people mean by some particular term, by some particular uh, proposition or whatever, what they mean by that. Then he asks them roughly, why do you believe that? Or how did you come to believe that? And then... What he does, what Socrates does, when he notices that this person is going through their reason or they're clarifying their term or they're going through whatever, whatever for whatever reason they hold that particular per, uh, uh, perspective, just like uh, Kokel's Colombo tactic, the next question is, can you clear this up for me? That's Kokel's next question. And the point of that is what? Kokel says the point of that is to exploit a flaw or to begin, uh, or to to begin to analyze their position so that they see the inherent flaw or the inherent contradiction in their uh, ideology, or at least the reasons why they're holding to that particular uh, ideology or particular persuasion. But this is exactly, almost to a T, what Socrates did. Socrates would ask a question in order to expose the weakness in his opponent's uh, argument. And I shouldn't even, again, I shouldn't even necessarily say opponent here because remember Socrates is just trying to, 
he really is trying to get to the truth of things. He's trying to get people to evaluate uh, their beliefs. He's really trying to get people to see why they believe what they believe. So it might be too strong a word to say that uh, call them his opponents because at this point in time, it's really just his fellow conversationist. Granted, he is trying to challenge um, and, and, and to dig down uh, to see why they hold to what they hold. So let, let me read this, uh, this little quick section out of Lawhead's text to show how he does this. So here it goes. This is Lawhead's text. Second, Socrates attacks his companion's uh, proposition by employing the form of argument we now call reductio ad absurdum. Or, of course, that's Latin for just meaning reducing to the absurd. Now, to use this technique, you begin by assuming that your opponent's position is true. And then you show that if that's true, that it logically implies either an absurd conclusion or one that contradicts itself or other conclusions held by uh, his opponent, Socrates' opponent. So this is how uh, Socrates does this in, uh, in regard regarding his conversation with a sophist called uh, he puts forth this cynical thesis that one, this is what this is what Socrates' opponent says. He says that justice means doing what is in the interest of those in power. That's how his uh, Socrates' opponent, uh, opponent here uh, defines justice. Oh, what is justice? Well, justice is doing what is in the interest of those in power. Now, Socrates then elicits the following corollary to the definition from Thasmagus. He says, two, to be just is to obey the laws of those in power. All right. So then next, Socrates has him agree to the common sense observation that what? Well, that three, that those in power can make mistakes. Is this true or not? Well, Socrates' interlocutor says, yeah, well, that, yeah, of course, yes. Those in power can make mistakes. Well, from that, now here's the key, from that, the following two inferences may be drawn. Those in power may mistakenly make laws that are not in their own interests. And to obey such laws is not to act in the interest of those in power. So what Socrates done here? Socrates has shown that his opponent's definition of justice, if taken to its, its logical conclusion, elicits a contradiction. How? Well, how? Because it does it this way. Therefore, to be just is to do what is in the interest of those in power and because those in power can make mistakes and make laws that aren't in, that don't help them at all, that aren't in their interests, it can also be just to do what is not in the interest of those in power. So let's run over that again. Socrates' opponent says, one, justice means doing what is in the interest of those in power to be just is to obey the laws of those in power. Okay. So Socrates makes it clear. He says, well, wait a minute. Can't they, those in power make mistakes? His opponent says, well, sure, they can make mistakes. Well, all right. Well, if those in power may, may mistakenly make laws that are not in their own interest, and to obey such laws is not to act in the interest of those in power, we've got a contradiction. Because therefore, to be just is to do what is in the interest of those in power, and to be just is to do what is not in interest. To do, to do those in power because you're following those laws that they made even though they made a mistake. So essentially Socrates is saying, wait a minute, if your definition of justice includes this r radical contradiction, then how can that make any sense at all? So of course what happens is, 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 is his uh, opponent there 
it's not made to look stupid, but he's made to sh- he's made it, it, it's shown that his definition is just not adequate. It's just not adequate at all. Now, how did Socrates do this? That's the the key to the Socratic method. He did this by questioning, by asking his terms. What does his opponent mean by fill in the blank? Then asking him to clarify that position, asking him how he came to hold that particular position. And then again, with questions, that's the key, with questions, he points out the flaw. He points out the flaw or the contradiction, um, sometimes with a counterexample and sometimes with what we would call a reductio ad absurdum. Now, just as a, as a brief side note, a reductio ad absurdum, just for those that may not be familiar with that, this is just a form of argument that you hear all of the time. You probably just didn't know that it actually had a name. And again, what is it? A reductio ad absurdum is just that form of argument that you take if that particular position is true, what somebody's arguing for, if you use that same, use the same principles that they're, that they're employing, that the logical consequence is some sort of ridiculous conclusion or a contradictory conclusion. Now, what's the most famous example of a reductio ad absurdum? Your mom or your dad used this, your grandmother, your entire life, and you didn't know it. The whole, hey, can I go to this party? No, you can't go to this party. Well, so-and-so is going to the party. Well, if so-and-so jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? Now you think, well, that's ridiculous. Really? No, that's a valid sort of argument. I mean, the argument, that's a reductio ad absurdum. It's saying that if your reason to go to the party is because so-and-so is going to the party, if that's your reason, if that's your argument that you should be able to go, well, then if that's true, that you should be able to go because so-and-so is, well, then it would also be tr- also be true that you should jump off a bridge <laughs> because so-and-so is. Of course that's an absurd. Of course that's absurd. That's the point. The point is to show that your argument is absurd or that your argument, uh, if, if taken to its extreme, leads to these, or not extreme, but just to its logical implication, its logical conclusion, is absurd. That's the entire point. So when you rolled your eyes at your mom or your grandmother or whoever and said, Mom, that's ridiculous, that's the point, is that your argument was actually ridiculous. You need a better reason uh, to go to the party or whatever the, the case may be. Now, this is again, this is what Socrates often, oftentimes did. He showed just like if their reason was X, well, then if X is true, or if that's their reason, well, then it would also imply these other ridiculous uh, uh, conclusions. Just like here, if justice means this, well, then justice would mean doing uh, the very exact opposite of what you're trying to say it means. So this was this was the brilliance of Socrates. And um, again, the, the the funny thing is is that we see this um, modeled almost to a T with a contemporary spin in Greg Kokel's uh, Colombo tactic. In fact, when I was reading um, Kokel's book, Tactics, um, and it's a good book, I would recommend it, no doubt. I, 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 re- I recall the section and having already gone through uh, Socrates and, and, and some of his some of his studies, some of his works, things of that nature, I remember thinking, clearly, Kokel has had to have, have studied Socrates at some point um, because this is just almost uh, identical uh, to the method that Socrates himself uses. Of course, you know, 
great mind as Kukul is, he, he's, he's no Socrates. So there's no fault in, 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 uh, in using that particular method if that's the way by which he came from it. Now, Socrates has a particular theory of knowledge. Um, he has a particular metaphysic. He has views about uh, the human soul. He has views about what constitutes virtue and excellence. And again, I'm going through, just looking through here um, with Lawhead's text, uh, political philosophy, political philosophy. Um, he's got a lot of stuff that he lays down. Now, the difficulty is a lot of historians uh, have said that sometimes it's rather difficult to find where Socrates starts and Plato starts. Because the reason for saying this is that, that Plato was the student of Socrates. And of course, Aristotle was the student of Plato. Some have charged that Plato essentially just used Socrates because Socrates was so prominent, such an important figure, that, that Socrates was just used by Plato to elaborate on what were actually Plato's own, own views. Um, but we can, we can, there's good reason to think that a lot of the earlier things that we learn about Socrates really are his, his particular views because of the writing style, because of the the way things seem to change in thought, we can. A lot of historians are, are, are at least somewhat confident that they can that they can uh, identify where Plato's ideas start to come into play, rather than those of Socrates. Now, of course, the way Socrates ends his life, or what ends up happening in regards to Socrates, is that he's put on trial by his own his own people for, again essentially being a troublemaker, that he's questioning an authority, that he's, he's corrupting the youth to not worship the gods of his day, um, to worship strange and new gods, all these sorts of things. And long story short, he ends up being uh, killed for his belief. Now, the heroic aspect of that, I, I might suppose, depending on how you look at it, is that Socrates apparently had the the opportunity to escape this this uh, capital punishment, this this execution um, that was uh, merited down on him by a, a jury of his own citizens. However, in, instead of running away or running from this particular fate, as he's been, uh, as he as it's concluded that he's guilty of all of these charges, he decides to just bite the bullet, or in this case, drink the hemlock uh, that was used to. Uh, initiate his death instead of running from that punishment instead of trying to get out of that punishment he decides to go ahead and again drink the hemlock and die for his beliefs rather than run from them or try to escape trouble uh, knowing that they'll, it'll just eventually catch up to him again at some later time now of course this again we see the parallel here with with uh, even Jesus of Nazareth willing to die for the right. Uh, of course, we would say on a much more grand scale, but at the same time, uh, trying to die in the uh, upholding of truth um, as opposed to running and maybe living a little longer life um, in some aspect. But as it pertains to Jesus, another interesting point that we might want to say or, or, or a parallel that we see is that even Jesus employs uh, the, Socrat the Socratic method at times. We see Jesus asking questions um, as opposed to just making someone sit down and listen to what he has to say. 
So, for instance, you know, when Jesus is challenged by the Pharisees, uh, you know, should we pay taxes or, or not? And Jesus says, well, whose image is on the coin? Jesus is employing this method of questioning, ask, uh, asking questions to, to lead the conversation, um, to try to bring it to a particular conclusion uh, where he wants it to go to steer that, um, to steer that conversation, but doing it in the form uh, of, of question asking so that you can lead that, just like the Colombo tactic that Kukul offers. Now, Peter Kreft, in his book, Socratic Logic, he has a couple, he has an entire section in the appendices that just say uh, some practical applications of Socratic Logic. One of the most humorous, but probably one of the most beneficial ways to use this particular method, the Socratic method, uh, Peter Kreft says, as, as, as he gives a section, section four in the appendix, it says, how to use the Socratic method on difficult people. <laughs> now, of course, Kreft says, now this is not going to be effective in, that's, with, a, with a raging moon bat, that somebody that's just completely, absolutely out of their mind. But that someone, but with someone who really is just a difficult person, who's set in their belief, who is um, very adamant that they have things right, uh, and you really do want to try to crack the ice or crack through that hardness in, in order to talk to these to these types of people. Kreft says that the Socratic method is a very valuable tool, tool in doing that, and I think he's right. And again, this is. Again, it was it worked in the case of Socrates. It worked in the case of Jesus of Nazareth using uh, the question uh, the question method of, of conversation to, to guide and, and direct and point out flaws in, in someone's ideas. Um, and it can be, you know, just in my own personal experience, it can be uh, very effective in dealing with difficult people. Now, I'm going to highlight some of these parts in. Uh, and, and Kreft's text here. So if you want to look at that in depth, I again suggest you look at Socratic Logic by Peter Kreft. So this is what Kreft says, and I'm just, I'm just saying this from the text. His first point is that from the outset, you've got to establish yourself as this, uh, this, this Socratic relationship. That is just to say you're the listener. You're not trying to present yourself as the teacher. You're trying to present yourself as this, the disciple you know, of, of this person, not their opponent. One that wants to be shown what they believe, why they believe this. You're really trying to come to clarification on what they what they what they think, which is true. Now, two, his second point is that you you want to get clear what this difficult person, what their basic contention is. What is it? What's their thesis? What's their conclusion? What's their bottom line? So, if you were to, to put it in lay terms, you would say, well, "What then are they saying? What are you saying?" Um, what do you mean by that, as Kokel would put it? Now, again, here's where we go by. Again, you see all of these methods, the Socratic method, Kokel's Colombo tactic, and, and uh, Peter Kreft's version of how to use the, the Socratic method on difficult people. You, have, you see how, how these all dovetail on one another, how they all overlap here. So Kreft's third point is that you want to be sure that you understand uh, the difficult person's position. So what do you do? You clarify their terms. Now, this is, again, just one of the key principles of just logic when you're examining an argument is you clarify terms. What do they mean by justice? What do they mean by truth? What do they mean by mean? What do they mean by bad? What do they mean by good? What do they mean by ugly? Those sorts of things. Again, four Crest again, following the same the same trajectory, the same path here. Socrates, is the Colombo tactic four, is 
Then find the difficult person's reasons or evidence. Again, here's Kreft's spin on how Socrates does it. Not in the spirit of the inquisitor about to pounce and refute it, but in the spirit in the spirit of the apprentice being led and instructed by his supposed master. Ask why in this spirit, like a good psychoanalysis. So again, you're just saying, why do you hold this particular position? Or what is your reason for this? How did you come to this conclusion? What, what books did you read that brought you to this? What TV series? What documentary? What, what essays have you read? Whatever. You, know, you can come up with that in your own way. So after, this is his fifth point, after the difficult person's thesis or term and reason is, is clear, you want to be sure to express that back to them in their, in their own words. Why? Because you're just trying to show that you understand what they're saying. So that, that again, that takes that edge off. That takes that, uh, that, uh, that, that chip off their shoulder that, hey, yeah, this person really does understand what I'm trying to say here. Now, once they see that, as Kreft says, the six points, once this difficult person sees that you're, quote, unquote, their side, you can bend again the next step. You explore either upstream or downstream of their original argument. You can see, you can challenge the premises. Do those really make sense? By, again, in the form of questions. Or you can challenge the consequences. Remember, the implications, maybe by a reductio or ad absurdum. That, well, if this is true, would this not lead to this particular conclusion as well? You know, you might put it that way. Or by way of counterexample. Uh, well, here's an example that seems to completely go against that. How, how do you? How would you make sense of that? You know, or how do you? How do you reconcile that if that if that's you know conducive to your uh, your position? And again, you're doing this with questions. You're trying to draw them out to see by themselves by themselves that their position doesn't make much sense or, or that it seems contradictory or at least that there's flaws, that there's serious red flags um, uh, that, they're, that they're holding to. Now, Kreff goes on to point out, I think, two or three more. Uh, actually, he goes on to point out one, two, three, four more points uh, how, to, how to employ this method. And if you want to look at that, I would, I would obviously suggest that. But again, the, 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 big, the big application here is to emulate or model Socrates um, in what he held to in regards to how he went about philosophy. Um, because again, we're talking about the ideas of philosophy, but one of the most important aspects about Socrates is how he went about doing philosophy. There's a difference between just knowing what people thought, what individuals thought uh, as it pertains to their ideologies, but it's, an, it's a whole other ball game to be able to do philosophy. And so, you know, in my opinion, this is probably one of the most important aspects of what Socrates uh, gave uh, as far as a foundational element of philosophy is how to do it, how to do philosophy. And, of course, this is by the Socratic method or the dialectic, uh, as Plato would say. Um, and that's by this question asking, this clarifying of terms, this establishing the relationship with someone, um, getting them to uh, say what they mean when they use specific terms, especially loaded, emotionally charged terms, or even even perhaps more applicable is terms that are just taken for granted. You know, kind of like uh, Augustine joked about time. Everyone knows what time is until you ask them what it is. Then when you ask someone what time is, 
all they can give you are examples. No one can give you, it seems like, at least in Newsday, no one can give you the essence of what it is. So even maybe terms that are just taken for granted, you're just asking questions. You ask how did they come to those particular conclusions. Um, what, is their evidence, what is their evidence for that? Why do they hold that view again? Which is just like Google's Colombo tactic. And then, to, and, and then the way you start to point out the flaws or you get them to recognize the problems is by asking a question. Uh, in regards to that particular conclusion or putting it in the form of an argument that or the reductio ad absurdum or counterexamples that draw out absurd or contradictory uh, conclusions. So hopefully that at least gives you something to look look at and, and chew on as you think about Socrates, as you think about how he went about doing philosophy. Uh, but then also, too, if you want to go into more depth, I would suggest something like Lawhead or Frederick Copleston's uh, text. Lawhead's was, would be the Voyage of Discovery, Copleston's would be History of Philosophy, um, and then uh, just the, the section that deals with Socrates. Again, so going back, highlighting our main points was Socrates, his, his ideas were a reaction, and uh, at least uh, we, I don't want to say all completely a, a reaction, but in part a reaction to what the sophists were peddling in the day um, and he wanted to establish a good foundation about how to go about how to do philosophy um, so there you go hopefully that gives you something to chew on on the philosophy and theology porch um, again take it use it employ it live it love it whatever however it goes now get off the porch until next time.